were there in, uh, excuse me, in Genesis chapter number nine. Keep your place there in Genesis. We're going to come right back to it. Uh, but go with me to the book of Second Peter. Keep your place in Genesis nine and go to Second Peter with me real quickly. It's towards the end of the New Testament. If you go backwards from Revelation, you're going to go past Jude, past Third, Second, and First John, and into the book of Second Peter. Second Peter, uh, chapter number. Let's see, where do I want to? Second Peter chapter number two, but make sure you keep your place there in Genesis 9. This morning, we are uh, ending our series on redeeming the time. We've been going through and looking at uh, principles for uh, making the most out of your time. If you remember, we started uh, three weeks ago uh, on, the, on the first of the year. That wasn't just the first Sunday of the year. It was the first day of the year. It was Sunday, January 1st. And I thought it'd be good to start a series on time because usually when we begin a new year, we're kind of thinking about the new year coming up. We're reflecting about the, uh, of the last year, and this idea of time is uh, fresh in our minds. And we started uh, in Psalm 90, and you don't have to go there, but if you remember, we, we looked at that verse in verse 12 where it says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And we talked about this idea that we're running out of time, and when we live with uh, uh, realization that we're running out of time, then we will make better decisions with our time. And then on the second week, we talked about the order of your priorities will determine the output of your productivity. We talked about living a life of priority and how we can't uh, get everything done that we want to get done. So we need to figure out what needs to be done and make sure we live under that priority. Last week, we started with this idea from, from the passage in, in, in Ephesians 5 where it says redeeming the time. And in Colossians, we talked about this idea that uh, the Bible equates Time and money. And in fact, in, in the book of Psalms, it talks about taking an account, which is a financial term, of your time. And, and, we, and we looked at the fact that there are some principles and there are some practices that not only work for your money, they also work for your time. We talked about savings. Remember, it's good for you to save financially, but it's also good to save time. And you can do that through delegate and automate and eliminate. And we also looked at the idea of investing. It's good for you to invest financially. Uh, that's a great thing to do. But it's also good for you to invest with your time. And we talked about that idea that there is a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time over a certain activity over a long period of time. And that's what we've been talking about. Now, today we're going to conclude this series. We'll be done with it. Uh, but I want to finish with giving you uh, two more thoughts about finances and money. And really, it's just one more financial practice and one financial principle that not only work for your time, I'm sorry, not only work for your money, but will also work for your time. Now, before I give you the practice, okay, I need to kind of set the context of what we're talking about. If you're there in 2 Peter chapter 2, I'd like you to look down at verse number 5. Now, we read out of Genesis 9 uh, before the sermon started. Brother Graham read the chapter out of Genesis 9, and it has to do with the life of Noah. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says about Noah in 2 Peter uh, 2, 5. The Bible says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah. Talking about God, that he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. I want you to notice how the Bible describes Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Do you see that? It says, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, I don't know about you, but if I could have my name in the Bible and have God describe me as a preacher of righteousness, I think that'd be a pretty good thing. Now, I want you to notice that Noah was a great man 
of God. In fact, Noah was the one man that God, uh, the Bible says that, the, uh, that, that, that Noah obtained grace in the sight of the Lord because he was an upright man, because he was a godly man, because he was a holy man. He lived his life in a way where the entire world, God wanted to drown the entire world and basically start over with the human race, but yet he saved Noah, and he saved Noah's family because this man was a righteous man. And he not only was he a righteous man, but he was a preacher of righteousness, and he was a godly man, and he was a great man. Now, go back to Genesis chapter 9, and you can lose your place there in Second Peter, but I want you to notice something. Noah was a great man. He's described as a preacher of righteousness. He was the one man that, was, uh, that, that, that God was allowed to not have to be judged with the flooding of the world, and God used him in a, in a mighty way. But I want you to notice something that happened in the life of Noah after the ark, after the flood, after the great works that he did. In Genesis chapter 9, if you look at verse 20, the Bible says this, and Noah, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20, and Noah began to be an husbandman. The, hus the word husbandman there means a farmer. He began to plant, and he planted a vineyard. It's talking about a plantation of grapevines. Notice verse 21. And he, that's Noah, drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered. This is referring to the fact that he was naked within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And, and we could go on and, 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 and continue reading, but here's a point that I want you to notice. Noah was a great man. Noah was a godly man. In fact, Noah, when God looked down upon the earth, he, he, he said, I, saw, I see one man who's upright. I see one man who's just. I see one man who's right. I see one man who I will spare from the judgment. But after the ark and after the construction... And after the flood, we see this great man that the Bible describes as a preacher of righteousness. And we see him drunk and passed out, naked, in a tent, backslidden. And you got to ask this question, what happened? What happened to Noah? I mean, he's a, he's a faithful man. He's a godly man. He's a mightily used of God. And now he's a drunk? Now he's a castaway? What happened? And what you'll find is that not only in Scripture, but in our own lives, if you've lived the Christian life uh, for any length of time, you will find that there will always be people who at one time were right with God, who at one time were on fire for God, who at one time were faithful to God, and, and you will see them, and, and you'll see the state that they're in later on in life, and you'll have to ask this question, what, what happened to this person? What happened to your marriage? What happened to your walk with God? How could it be that at one point you were referred to as a preacher of righteousness and at another point you're naked and drunk and a loser in a tent? And you got to ask the question, what happened? Noah's not the only example. There's another example in Scripture, and there's many examples, but I, I want to highlight just a couple for you. Go with me to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter number 13. You're there in Genesis. If you go past the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you got the book of 1 Samuel. So you find all those first and second books. They're all clustered together. 1 Samuel, chapter number 13. I'd like you to look at no, no, verse number 14. 1 Samuel, chapter number 13. I'd like you to look at verse number 14. 1 Samuel 13, 14. The Bible says this, but now, and just so you understand, this is, this is Samuel speaking to Saul, all right? Samuel is uh, speaking to Saul, King Saul, and he says, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him, notice what he says, a man after his own heart. This is Samuel speaking about the coming king, David. 
the man that God chose to replace Saul. Now, I want you to notice how uh, Samuel describes David. He says, the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be a captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now, again, if, if, if I could have my name in Scripture, and I could have God describe my life, I think that's a pretty good description to have the Bible describe you as a man after God's own heart. David was a courageous man. David was a godly man. The Bible tells us that David brought the people in and took the people out. He fought the battles of the Lord. He was the first one to volunteer to fight Goliath. He was the only one who volunteered to fight Goliath. He's a sweet psalmist of Israel. He's a great, godly, Christian man. But the Bible also tells us and describes for us the account of his backsliding. You're there in 1 Samuel 13. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, just the next book over, 2 Samuel 11. I want you to notice how we see David in a state of sin. 2 Samuel chapter number 11, look at verse number 1. 2 Samuel 11 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba, but... David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now David shouldn't have been looking at this woman. But he goes a step further, verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And he said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliab? Notice the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, he shouldn't have been looking at her, but he was looking at her, and he decided to inquire of her. But when the message comes back, hey, isn't this the wife of Uriah the Hittite? That's really where this story should have ended. But David takes it a step further. Look at verse 4. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. He committed adultery with this woman. But she was purified of her uncleanness, and she returned into her house. And we won't keep reading, but if you keep reading the story, you know that David not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, he also killed her husband to cover it up because she ends up uh, being with child. And you look at David, who was a young man who was willing uh, to and able to stand up to Goliath, who said the battle is the Lord's, who said that God would deliver him, that all the earth may know is what David said. And, and, and he fought for the Lord, and he, he was an example and a leader to the people of God, and God used him in a mighty way. And now here we see him committing adultery, lying about it, committing murder, backslidden, and you got to ask this question. you got to ask this question. What happened to David? What happened to Noah? How could it be that such men of character and integrity, great men of God, could end up getting so backslidden? And this ought to be concerning to you, and it ought to be concerning to me, because I would venture to say that there's probably no one in this room who is a better Christian than David. There's probably no one in this room who is a better man or better woman than Noah, who the Bible describes as a preacher of righteousness, who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And here's the point that I want to make. If they, if greater men and better men than us can get that backslidden, you can too. And so can I. And the Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And you've got to ask this question, what happened? What happened? And I think I know what happened. I think the Bible hints to what happened to these men. See, Noah, 
built an ark. And we don't know exactly how long it took him to build the ark. I think most people guess that it took him 120 years. There's a reference in scripture to that number. And I'm not sure that that number actually is talking about the fact that that's how long it took him to build the ark. I didn't look into it that much, to be honest with you. So I don't know what the answer to that question is. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? But I will say this. I think we can all, we can all say, safely assume that it took him years. It probably took him decades. It probably took Noah a long time. This was a big endeavor. And, and the Bible seems to indicate that at this time, it had not even rained on the earth. God comes to Noah and says, Noah, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And Noah probably asked, what's, what's that? And God explains, I'm going to flood the earth. And it took a lot of faith. And it took a lot of courage. And it took a lot of integrity. And it took a lot of character. And it took a lot of time and year upon year and probably decade after decade for Noah to build this ark. And here's what I want you to understand. Noah had a task to perform. He had to get up every day and go to work. He probably went home tired every night. I'm sure he took a day to rest. But he probably got up, worked hard, lived by a schedule, lived by a routine, had a task, had his children help. Helping him, and I want you to notice, after the ark was built, after the flood was done, when Noah no longer has a reason to get up in the morning, when Noah no longer has a schedule to keep, when Noah no longer has a routine to keep him busy, this great man of faith and godliness, this preacher of righteousness, ends up drowning. Is he David? The Bible tells us that he brought the people in and brought the people out. The Bible tells us that he fought the Lord's battles. The Bible tells us that he was busy. He had a schedule. He had a routine. He had things that needed to be done. But when David decided, no, I'll tarry back in Jerusalem. I'll send Joab to do the job. I'll take some time off. When David decided to no longer keep his schedule, when David decided to no longer keep his routine, you know what happened to David? Sweet psalmist of Israel. Man after God's own heart committed adultery, committed murder. He got backslidden. I mean, he spells it out for us. He, he, it says, when kings go forth to battle, and yet he chose to tarry back. He chose to send Joab. He chose to not continue to live his life under a disciplined schedule and routine. See, I want to give you some financial, uh, financial practice that not only works for your money, it also works for your time. And the financial practice is this. You need to learn to budget. You need to learn to budget. Not only your money, but your time. You need to learn to budget. Not only your money, but your time. See, a budget financially, I'm not preaching on finances, I'm just using an illustration. But a budget financially, someone said this. A budget is telling your money where to go, not wondering where your money went. And I think you ought to live by a budget. I think you ought to figure out, this is how much money I make. This is how much my bills are. They, and every dollar ought to, ought to have a place where it goes. And you ought to be able to account for that and know where your money goes. The only way you can succeed financially, I believe, and the Bible teaches, is to plan out the way you will spend your money. And if you're living your life with no budget, you will ruin. You'll be ruined. You will not succeed. You will not prosper financially. I can promise you that. If you're just spending and you don't even know how much you've got, let me tell you something. In the same way, in the same way, when you spend your time without tracking it, when you spend your time without budgeting, I, I love that quote in the bulletin. Just like people who cannot tell you where their money went are destined to be poor, people who cannot tell you where their time went are destined to be unproductive and poor. 
You say, how do I budget my time? Well, the, the word that we would use is to have a schedule. See, you need to learn to live by a disciplined and a consistent schedule. Listen to me very carefully. If you want to be in it for the long run, I'm talking about the Christian life. If you want to live the Christian life decade after decade after decade, if you want to end your life like the Apostle Paul who was able to say, my, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. If you want to be able to end your life, your Christian walk, and, and, and not end up drunk, not end up in adultery, not end up backslidden, not end up a castaway, not end up not right with God. If you want to end your life properly, every Christian who's in it for the long run lives and has a disciplined schedule and routine, and you need to have one too. You need to learn how to schedule your time. See, here's what you need to understand, and here's what I've learned after six years of doing this in ministry and being in ministry. What I've learned is this. Whenever things happen in your life that, that, that mess your schedule up, that's when people are most likely to get backslidden. You need to know that. When you find a new job, that's when you're most likely to get backslidden. When you move into a new house, that's when you're most likely to get backslidden. When you get married, that's when you're most likely to get backslidden. When you have a child, that's when you're most likely to get backslidden. When something happens in your life that interrupts the schedule of your life, that's when you are most likely to get backslidden. That's why it's very common for people to get backslidden during summer. Why? Because you're taking all sorts of vacation. It's very common for people to get backslidden during the holidays of Christmas and Thanksgiving. Why? Because people uh, are, are taking time off and not living by a schedule. That's why the biggest growth times of, of not just our church but any church are what? January. What? September. Why? Because people go back to school. People go back to work. People get back on a schedule. It has nothing to do with the weather. It has to do with your time. How you manage your time will determine how you live your life. And see, in Scripture, we are given examples of, of, of men like the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul who lived by very consistent and routine schedule, and they did great and wonderful things for God. Let me give you some examples. Go to the book of Luke with me. If you can find the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke chapter 4. And look at verse number 16. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Luke 4, 16, I want you to notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke. The Bible says this, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Notice, and as his, this is Jesus, as his custom. You see that word custom there? The word custom means a habitual practice or a habit. He made a routine. He made a schedule. He made a custom was, notice, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. You know what the Bible just told us? Jesus lived off a routine. Jesus lived off a schedule. He woke up on the Sabbath day and he said, today is the day that I go to the synagogue. Today is the day that I read the scriptures in the synagogue today. It was his custom. It was his habitual practice. It was something that he did on a regular basis. And listen to me. Jesus had a ministry for three and a half years. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about it. The productivity of his life was probably connected to the fact that he lived by a schedule and by a routine. Let me give you another example. Go to the book of Acts. You're there in Luke. Go past John into the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. 
Acts 17, look at verse number 2. Acts chapter 17 and verse 2, the Bible says this, and Paul, and Paul, who's probably, who's the, not probably, he was the greatest missionary, the greatest soul winner, the greatest evangelist, aside from the Lord Jesus Christ, who ever lived, who wrote most of the New Testament, who the reason that you and I are even sitting in a room and, and, and having a church service, the reason we even have a church as Gentile believers is because of the life of the Apostle Paul still feeling his impact today. The Bible tells us about Paul and Paul as his manner was. See that word manner there? You know what the word manner means? His prevailing custom, his, the habit, his habit. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scripture. See, he had a routine. He had a schedule. He did something that, they, there was something he did every day. And listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. If you do not learn to live on a routine, on a schedule, where you get up every day and you do the same thing, if you don't learn how to develop a schedule where you read the Bible every day, where you pray every day, where you go soul winning regularly, where you go to church regularly, if you don't learn how to live in a consistent and routine and systematic way you will fail at life. You will fail with your children. You will fail in the Christian walk. You Listen to me, men. You say, well, I, I like to sleep in. So do I. I think we all do. Don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. You want to be a loser? You want to be poor? You want to be broke? You want to end your life and have nothing to show for it? You just go ahead and sleep in. You just go ahead and miss Sunday morning church. You just go ahead and miss soul winning. You just go ahead and live an undisciplined and unscheduled and unsystematic life. And I will tell you, I will predict for you right now how you will end up. Like Noah. Like David. Like everyone else who did not have the discipline to schedule their time in a routine. Let me talk to these guys in our spiritual leadership class. We have a class we're training, 10 guys for the ministry. You can't figure out how to get up on Saturday morning and go to church. You think you're going to pastor a church? You can't figure out how to get up on Sunday morning and show up for church? You're not even worthy to usher at our church, and you want to pastor a church? And people say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It was a big deal to Noah. The problem with Noah is that he had something to get up every day. He woke up. He worked hard. He had a schedule. And when he stopped doing that, when he stopped doing that, he became a drunk. And he got backslidden. And if you don't learn how to live by a consistent routine, if you don't learn how to live by a consistent schedule, if you don't figure out that you better get back on that schedule and you better get back on that, on that routine of Sunday morning church and Sunday night church and Wednesday night church and quit giving me your excuses and quit telling me, look, I'm sick and tired of hearing everybody's excuses. Everyone's telling me, I don't have, I just need more time. What do you need so much time for? Now, I used to feel bad because people would come to me and they're like, man, this church, you know, you have church on Sunday morning and you have church on Sunday night and you have church on Wednesday night and you have soul winning on Saturday and you have this activity and that activity. And I used to feel bad because I was like, man, maybe we are overwhelming people. But you know what I realized? Everyone who ever had that mentality ended up backslidden, ended up quitting church, ended up not being right with God. And you know what I realized? It's like, what do you need so much time for to go get drunk? What do you need so much time for to go commit adultery? It's good for a man to be busy. It's good for a woman to be busy. It's good to have something to get up to every day. And you will ruin your life. I'm just calling it right now. And you don't want to listen to it. People get backslidden. People get backslidden. They want to come up with every excuse why they can't whatever. 
what I've noticed about backslidden people is they never want to look you in the eye. No one ever comes to me and says, Pastor, listen, I am backslidden. I am not right with God. I have idols in my life, and uh, that's why I'm quitting church. Nobody ever says that. They want to come up with an excuse and a reason as to what to justify. But listen to me very carefully. The fact that you can't figure out how to get up early, how to get to church, how to read your Bible, how to get to soul winning, the fact that you cannot figure out to live a systematic, scheduled life, I'm just predicting it right now, will ruin your life. And you go ahead and remember this ugly face 20 years from now. When you wake up in the gutter, when you wake up in the pig pen, when you get, wake up in divorce court, when your children hate you, and you just remember what this preacher said to you, that the key to living the Christian life in the long run is to live by a discipline and schedule. Listen to me, men. You're married. When you get off of work, you go home. When you get off of work, you go home. Did you hear me? You say, well, I don't, well, why can't I just go hang out with the guys at the bar? So you can get drunk and commit adultery? What, you just expect me to be some sort of a hand pet? No, I expect you to live by a schedule and a routine and to walk with God and to live consistently. That's what I expect from you. That's what God expects from you. You get off of work, you go home. You spend time with your wife. You spend time with your children. You go home, you get them ready for church on Wednesday night and quit complaining about the traffic and quit complaining about how long it is and quit complaining. What are you going to do with your time? Get drunk? Quit on us? Quit soul winning? See, the last thing you need is time. Idle time is what? Devil time. Idle time is devil time. You need to be busy. You need to live right. You need to learn the practice of budgeting your time. Because if you don't, you, I'm just telling you right now, you will be a financial ruin. You will be an emotional ruin. You will be a relational ruin. You will be a spiritual ruin. You will be like the Apostle Paul who said, I kept under my body and I bring it into subjection. He said, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Here's what he means by that. He says, I make myself do, I make my body do what it needs to do. That means when the alarm goes off, I force myself out of bed. That means when I don't want to read the Bible, I open it up and read it anyway. That means when it's time for soul winning, I show up for soul winning. When it's time to pray, I show up to pray. When it's time to work, I go to work. He said, I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, Noah, I myself should be a castaway. Find, find the drunk. Find the drug addict. Find the homeless person. Find the person that can't keep a job. Find, find, find them. You know what you'll find? People who do not live by a consistent schedule. Period. Under the authority of Scripture, that's what it is. So what do you do with your time? Learn the practice of budgeting your time. That's what successful people do. Learn the practice of budgeting your time. Live off a routine. Live off a schedule. Say, I don't know what to live. Then you come talk to me. I'll give you a schedule. We'll start real basic. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, go to church. And live stream isn't church. Church is a gathering with believers, not a gathering of you and your iPhone. Sunday, soul winning, we got it on Saturday. We got it on Thursday. We got it on Sunday. Read nine chapters every day in the month of January. That's a schedule. I'm just saying you stay busy because if Noah, because of David, could get into sin when they had too much time on their hands, you don't think you will? You don't think you can? I said number one this morning, learn the practice of budgeting your time. But let me give you another one. You're there in Acts, go to the book of 2 Corinthians. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 
If you're a man and you can't get out of bed, you need to just get right with God. You need to just learn to work hard. You need to be here tonight. But you know what? Some of you need to be here tonight, and you won't be here tonight because you don't have integrity, because you don't have character, because you don't have the self-discipline to make your body do what it needs to do. And you'll ruin your life. Say, Pastor, are you mad? Yeah, I am mad. Because I'm sick and tired of investing time and energy and effort into people who are not worth investing your time and energy into because they don't have the character to stay in it for the long run. You know, if, 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 you're, not, if you're just going to get backslidden and waste my time, then just tell me that when you get here. If I can just ignore you. You're not worth the investment. You're not worth the time. If you don't have enough character to live by a scheduled routine. To live by a scheduled time. I said, number one, learn the practice of budgeting your time. Number two, leverage the principle of generosity with your time. Leverage the principle of generosity with your time. In the Bible, there is a principle of generosity. Let's shift gears here for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 6. Actually, look at verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. I, I'm being serious. Do me a favor. When you show up to Verity Baptist Church, just walk up to me and say, hey, hey, Pastor Jimenez, I'm glad to be here. Just want you to know I'm a loser. Don't waste a lot of time on me. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Can, can you get up? In, no, I can't get up in the morning. I cannot control. Thank, thank you. Don't waste your time. I appreciate that. Hey, we'll still send you the Starbucks card. Hey, we'll still give you the after tribulation. Just do me a favor. Let me know. I'm a loser. Don't spend time on me. It would help me out. 2 Corinthians 9, look at verse 6. But this I say. I'm sorry, look at verse 7. Every man according as he purposes in his heart. So let him give. I want you to notice the principle here is about giving. It's about financially giving. It's about money. He says, every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, I want you to notice the principle here, okay? Verse 7 is the context. It's about giving financially, monetarily. Look at verse 6. Here's the promise. Here's the principle. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly. What's sparingly? That's being cheap or a cheapskate. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. God says, if you're cheap with me, I'll be cheap with you, financially. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully, what's bountifully? That's generous. Shall reap also generously. Also bountifully. See, there's a promise in Scripture about giving. God says, when you are generous with your money, I will be generous back to you financially. He says, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. But I want you to understand something. This is not only a principle that works with your money. It also works with your time. When you are generous with your time, God will be generous back to you with your time. You say, what does that mean? How can someone be generous with your time? I'm glad you asked. Let me show you. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. First book in the New Testament. Should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, look at verse number 16. Say, how do I be generous with my time? Matthew chapter 19. Now, I want you to understand something. We're going to look at the parable in chapter 20. But I want you to get the context of the parable at, or why it is that Jesus even gave the parable. And let me say this. In Matthew 19, we deal with this young man. He's a rich young ruler. You can preach an entire sermon out of just the conversation between Jesus and this young man. I don't have time to do that, Okay. I, we're redeeming the time. Well, I've done that before, and I'm sure I'll do it again. But I'm just going to give you what you need to know to get the context of the chapter, uh, of the parable. Matthew 19, look at verse 16. And behold, 
One came and said unto him, good master, what good thing? Now, I want you to notice the question he asked. He didn't say, what must I do to be saved? He didn't say, what do I need to, uh, uh, you know, believe to go to heaven? He said, what good thing? What good thing shall I do? Okay, very specific question. What do I have to do to, that I may have eternal life? He's asking the wrong question. Therefore, he's going to get the wrong answer. He's going to get an answer he doesn't want to hear, but Jesus is just kind of pricking at this guy, trying to help him see where he's wrong. Look at verse 17. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? Now, that already shows you that this young man comes to Jesus with a wrong attitude. Okay? It's not, this guy's not genuinely coming to him and saying, what must I do? He's coming with a bad attitude because Jesus responds to him, hey, how, the way you're coming to me is wrong. The way you're coming at me is wrong. He said, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Here's what he's saying. You don't think I'm God, then don't call me good because there's one that's good. He, here's what he's saying. Either I'm good and I'm God or I'm not good and I'm not God. But you're not coming to me with the right attitude. But if that will enter into life, so Jesus says, you know what? I'm just going to ask you a question. You want to know what good thing you need to do that you may have eternal life? Well, here's what you need to do to have eternal life. Keep the commandments. That's, what, that's what, the answer. Now, the problem with that is that there's none that doeth good, no, not one. The problem with that is that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The problem for that is that, that none of us can keep the commandments. But that's the question he asked with his bad attitude. He said, well, what do I got to do to go to heaven? He said, well, what you got to do is keep the commandments. Can you do that? Notice his arrogant response. Look at verse 18. He saith unto him, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Now, Jesus specifically picks certain ones here because he's, he's trying to draw this guy in. And, and Jesus said unto him, because in, in Luke, we're told that he looked upon him with love. Jesus loved this man, but he needed to help fix his attitude. And he said, and Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All of those commandments have to do between our relationship with other men. The way men deal with men, or humans deal with humans, people deal with people. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus specifically named those commandments because he knew the response that he would get from this arrogant young man. Look at verse 20. The young man saith unto him, all these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? This guy literally thinks he's good enough to go to heaven. I've done all of that. And then the arrogant question, what lack I yet? And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 21. Okay, he didn't say that, but I'm sure that's what he was thinking. Jesus said unto him, okay, if thou wilt be perfect. He said, let me, let me show you that you haven't kept all the commandments because there's a commandment that you haven't kept, rich young man. It's the, it's the fact that you are covetous. It's the fact that you love money. It's the fact that you put people that you put uh, things before people. You put profits before people. He said, okay, I didn't know I was dealing with someone that was perfect. Well, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, he wasn't keeping all the commandments. That's what Jesus is trying to show him. But I want you to notice that, that that conversation is had 
in front of the apostles. So you got good old Peter. I like Peter because Peter reminds me of me, you know. Always putting his foot in his mouth. It's always saying the wrong thing. And notice what Peter, Peter watches this whole thing, and then he asks a question. Look at verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him. Because Peter just watched this young man who was pretty good, but was not willing to give everything up to follow Jesus. He, he had great possessions. He was not willing to give everything up to follow Jesus. And Peter starts thinking to himself, well, I've given everything up. And, and, and these guys are giving everything up. So he asked this question. He said, then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Here's what he's asking. If I give you my time, Jesus, what am I going to get for it? If I give you my time, Jesus, what am I going to get for it? I don't want to be generous with my time. I want to know what's at the end. I want to know what's the reward. I want to know what the payday is. In that context, Jesus answers his question by giving him a parable. Let's look at it. Matthew 20, look at verse 1. Here's the answer, Peter. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning, this is 6 a.m., to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, so the first hour would be 6 a.m. The third hour would be 9 a.m. So he goes out three hours later. It's 9 a.m. now. These guys have been working for three hours. He goes out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. This is, this, this, get, get the idea if you've ever seen like um, laborers kind of gathered somewhere and they're kind of just work, you know, waiting for someone to hire them to work that day. That's what's going on. He goes out and sees others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, go ye also into the vineyard. And whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. And he went about the sixth hour. So now it's noon. It's, it's 12 p.m., six hours later. And the ninth hour, and did likewise. He did the same thing at the sixth hour. And he did the same thing at the ninth hour that he did at the third hour, which is he went and said, hey, whatsoever is right, I will give you. Look at verse 6. And about the eleventh hour... It's 5 p.m. They're working from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. There's one hour left in the workday, and he goeth, and, and, and verse 6, and about the 11th hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, that's 6 p.m., Morning is 6 a.m., even is 6 p.m. The Lord of the vineyard saith unto the steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire. Beginning, notice, he said, I want you to pay the laborers beginning from the last unto the first. He said, I want you to put them in order. The ones that have worked the least, pay them first. And the ones that have worked the most, pay them last. Notice verse 9. And when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. Now, remember, that's what he told that he was going to pay the guys who worked 12 hours. And, that, and they agreed to it. That's, that's, a, that's a day's wages. These guys worked one hour and received a full day's wages. Notice verse 10. But when the first came, but when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. Okay? Be careful about assuming because they, they, they're in line, and they're like, man, the guy that worked one hour got paid a penny. That's a full day's wages for one hour. We worked 
12 hours. I mean, we're probably going to get paid a lot more. Look at verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured. They complained. They criticized against the good man of the house, saying, these last have wrought. The word wrought means they work. He said, these last have, have wrought. They worked but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I do thee no wrong. Now, I used to read this passage before I understood. I used to think to myself, like, this doesn't sound fair. They work one hour. They get one penny. This, these guys work 12 hours. They got one penny. How's that right? But I want you to understand what happened here. You might have caught it already. I've preached this before, so you may already know the answer. But let's look at it. Look at verse 2. And when he had, let's read that word together, agreed. Let's read it, let's, let's read it again. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny. See, when they went to work at 6 a.m., he said, hey, I want to hire you for, tw for 12 hours. I want to hire you to work all day. And they said, well, we're not just going to work. So we know what we're getting. We want to know what the reward's going to be at the end. And he says, is a penny fair? They said, a penny's fair. A penny is, is a one day's wages. And they said, sure, we'll work 12 hours for a penny a day. But I want you to notice, when he goes out, look at verse 3, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said unto them, go ye into the vineyard, and notice, and whatsoever is right, no agreement. He said, whatsoever is right, I will give you. He just said, he said, hey, I want to hire you. And, and he said, but you know what? Don't worry about what I'm going to pay you. I'll pay you what's fair. And they said, okay, we trust you. We believe in you. We agree. They went to work, and they let the master take care of the reward. And then they went the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. There was no agreement. They never agreed. Because it would make sense, you know, if, if they would have agreed, it would make sense that they would say, well, you, you agreed to pay the guys that work 12 hours a penny a day, so it would make sense that if I'm only going to work 9 hours or 6 hours or 1 hour, that you're going to pay me less. But we're not going to agree with you. You just pay us what's fair. He said, okay. They get to the line. They worked 1 hour. He gives them a full day's wages. And then the guys who work 12 hours, he gives them a penny, a full day's wages. They get mad, but he said, hey, I do thee no wrong. He said, I do thee no wrong. Look at, look at verse 13. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Didn't you agree? Didn't you say that was fair? Didn't, didn't you tell me that you wouldn't come to work till I told you what you were going to get? He said, he said, take that as thine and go thy way. I will give unto this lease, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? He said, can I do with my money what I want to do? Here's what he's saying. Can't I be generous with those who were generous with me? He said, you were Mr. Cheapskate. You wouldn't show up unless you knew exactly what you were going to get, Peter. Remember, Peter asked the question, we have left all to follow thee. What shall we get? And the response is this. The Bible says about God that he is able to give you exceeding abundant more than you can ask or think. Here's what he says. Let me take care of the reward. You just get to work. I'll give you what's fair. Let me take care of the reward. I'll give you what's fair. You'll be happy. You'll be glad you did. Look at verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what, is, what I will with mine own? 
Is I not evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last, for many are called and few are chosen. Let me give you some practical things we can learn from this parable. Number one, usually when we feel that God is being unfair to us, listen to me very carefully, usually when we feel that God is being unfair to us, it's not that he's being bad to us, but that he's being too good to someone else. Isn't that true? Usually when we feel that God is unfair to us, it's not that he's treating us badly, but we think he's treating other people better. They, 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 it's not that they didn't, they didn't get ripped off. They agreed for a penny a day. They got a penny a day. But when they saw somebody else get more, they're like, this isn't fair. Well, wait a minute. It's fair. That's what you agreed for. That's why I always think it's funny. These people want to complain on the news and stuff. You know, we need to get paid more money. We're only getting paid minimum wage. It's not fair. And Obama or Trump or someone's got to make sure they give us. Well, hold on a minute. Isn't that what you agreed for? Isn't that what you signed up for? They never want to talk about you need to get a better education. They never want to talk about you need to develop some skills that are worth paying you more. They, they never want to talk about maybe you need to go just work a little harder and, and, and bring some value to the table. They, they want the handout, but didn't you agree for that? If, if, look, if you tell an employer, I'm going to work for $6.75, or, you know, that's what minimum wage was when I was a kid. I don't, remember, I don't know what it is now, like $20 or something. You know? if, if, if you go to an employer and say, I'm going to work for minimum wage, then don't complain afterwards when that's what you agreed for. Don't complain after when someone who has maybe skills that they develop, skills that they work hard to get, gets paid more than you do. See, here's another principle we learned from this parable. Just because you get started late in life doesn't mean you won't earn great rewards. You may have started this Christian life a little later in life. You may be at that 11th hour. But listen to me. As long as you don't hassle or haggle with God, as long as you are generous with your time and you say, all I've got is one hour, all I've got is three hours, all I've got is six hours, God, but I'm giving it to you, and whatsoever is right, I'll be happy with. Hey, God can give you more than you deserve. See, just because you get started late in life doesn't mean that you won't get rewarded. Here's another thing we can learn from this, from this parable. Don't try to make a deal with God. Don't try to make a deal with God in regards to your, to your time. Be generous with your time and allow God to give you whatsoever is right. It'll be worth it. Go to Matthew 16. We're almost done. Matthew 16. Don't try to make a deal with God. See, some people who are cheap and covetous cannot understand this. There are some people... There are some people, like, they, they will not lift a finger. I mean, they will not come at ch to church and volunteer at a work day. They won't do anything unless, well, what's in it for me? What am I going to get paid? I'm just, just go home. We don't need you. I'd rather not get it done. You know, people, I can, you know I'm not going to show up unless I know what I'm going to get out of it. When you're generous with your time, God will be generous with you. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. That works for your money and that works for your time. And people that are cheap and covetous cannot understand that. They will look at someone and say, you volunteered all that time at church and you didn't get paid? I can't understand that. That's because you're covetous. That's because you're cheap. That's because you're a cheapskate. That's because you are sparing with your time. And then you wonder. And then you wonder why God doesn't bless you like other people. You say, well, their business is taking off, and they're financially doing great, and things are going. Because when you are sparing with God, whether it's time or money, he will be sparing with you. So learn to be generous with your time. Because God can, there, you don't have to turn there, but here, there's, there's a verse in Scripture. I, I love this verse. 
in, you know, write this reference down. Don't go there. Joel 2.25 says this. God says this, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. You say, I've wasted so much time and I've wasted a lot of years. God can restore to you the years. He can make up the time if you will just be generous with him. If you will just be generous with him. Matthew 16, look at verse 25. We're almost done. Look at what it says. Matthew 16, verse 25. Matthew 16, verse 25. Notice what it says. For whosoever will save, whosoever will save, Here's what it means. Keep to yourself. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose, give away his life for my sake. This is Jesus speaking. For my sake shall find it. See, when you devote all your time to you, listen to me very carefully. When you devote all your time to you, all you will have left at the end of that is you. Do you understand what I just said? When you devote the time and efforts of your life to you, to pleasuring yourself, to what makes me feel good, what makes me feel great, I'm going to sleep in, I'm not going to serve, I'm not going to give, I'm going to be all about me. Here's the problem with that. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. When you devote all your time and effort to you, at the end of your life, all you have is you. But whosoever shall give away, whosoever shall lose his life, when you invest your time and effort and money in others and church and serving and God, God says at the end, at the end, the reward you get, it'll be worth it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Because when it comes to time, when it comes to time, you need to learn these principles. They work for your money and for your time. When it comes to time, you need to learn to budget your time. Live off a schedule, live off a routine, or you will end up ruining your life. And you need to learn to leverage the principle of generosity. Leverage the principle of generosity, that I'm going to be generous with my time. And by the way, I'm going to be generous with my money. I'm going to just serve God. I don't need to know what's coming at the end. I don't need to make a deal. See, Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, don't make a deal with me. Because what was the question that Peter asked? We have left all. We have forsaken all. And I'll follow thee. What shall we have? And Jesus says, don't make a deal with me, Peter. Don't make a deal with me. Just let me reward you. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Go to the book of Revelation. We're, we're done right here. Revelation chapter 10. Last book in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Look at verse 6. I got, I got, this, I got this verse from Brother VJ. Brother VJ Nathan gave me this verse. He said, hey, this is a good verse for the series. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to use that for the very last verse, the last sermon of this series. Because, you know, for the last four weeks, we've been talking about this idea of time. And I want to encourage you as we finish the series, I just want to encourage you to take time to redeem time. Take time to learn how to manage your time. Take time to learn how to manage yourself within time. Take time to redeem time because there's coming a day when there will be no time. You understand that? There's coming a day when there will be no time. Revelation chapter 10, look at verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 10, verse 6. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that, are th that therein are, 
and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein. This is the book of Revelation. It's talking about eternity. This is after everything's done. That there should be time no longer. You know that there's coming a day when there will be no time? It's called eternity. And there will be coming a day when you can no longer honor God with your time because you have no time. See, only now, only now can you show God from your heart that he is your priority, that you love him and you put him first because only now in this life do you have time to spend. Only now, only now do you, can you show God with your with your finances, that you love him and put him first with your finances. Because there's coming a day when you're going to live in a place where the streets are made out of gold. And your tithe at that point won't really matter. There's coming a day when there's no time. Only on this earth do we have time to steward for God. You better learn to live just where we started. You better learn to live with the realization that you are running out of time. Because when we live with the realization that we're running out of time, when we live with the realization that there shall be time no longer, you will make better decisions daily with him. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here, giving us the opportunity to manage ourselves within time. Lord, help us not to end up like Noah. Father, help us to not end up like David. Lord, help us to learn how to live off a consistent routine and schedule. Lord, help us to realize whenever those transition times come, a new baby, a new job, a new house, vacation time, those things that interrupt our schedule, help us to go into that mindful, realizing that if there's a time to get back to it, it's right now. And help us to learn to live by a disciplined schedule. And then also, Father, help us to learn to be generous with our time. And to not worry about the reward. To not worry, well, if I spend all those Saturdays soul winning, is it going to be worth it? Help us to realize it will be worth it. And just let us let you give us what is worth it. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us time. Help us to learn to redeem it. In your precious name. Name I pray. Amen.